And before we get to Romans 13, 11 through 14, I want to refer back to the uh, preceding uh, scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the tail end of verse 9, which starts the page. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, starting with verse 11. And do this, love your neighbor as yourself, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So are you looking forward to Christmas? Yes. yes. But there's a, I guess it always catches me a little bit off guard. Because we don't even get done eating our Thanksgiving turkeys and we feel like we need to hurry. We need to hurry to the stores to take advantage of Thanksgiving sales or Black Friday. Or we need to take advantage of Cyber Monday or whatever other shopping incentives are out there. For many of us, that's just the beginning. We are preparing expectantly. We want to make sure we get good deals on presents for others and maybe even ourselves. And then we need to decorate for the season and shoehorn all sorts of gatherings and parties and special events into the calendar as we look forward to that special day and seek to share the gladness of the season. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's a time of spiritual preparation. So as this season begins, it might be good to talk about it. According to the Christian calendar, the Advent season comes before the Christmas season. Advent is a time of preparation. Christmas is a time of celebration. In the early church, Advent was a time during which the new believers prepared for baptism. Today, the observance of Advent is a sort of discipline to help us prepare for the coming of Christ, our King, our hope, and our ultimate fulfillment. Traditionally, the first two Sundays of Advent encourage us to look forward to Jesus' second coming, and that's what we're going to do today. The focus of the second two Advent Sundays is Christ's first coming at Christmas. We look forward with expectation to Jesus' second coming as we prepare joyfully to celebrate his first. So Advent is a time to prepare expectantly. And this morning I want to talk about preparation and expectation. The Bible tells Christians to prepare. Preparation is doing something now to be ready for what will come later. Let me repeat that. 
Preparation is doing something now to be ready for what will come later. Now, Gail did a wonderful job of reading the scripture this morning, but I want to read it again because Paul is telling people in this scripture to prepare. It says, besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul tells his readers to prepare for their salvation. How does Paul say to prepare? He tells them, wake up. He says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In verse 13, he goes into more detail. He says, walk properly as in the daytime. This includes staying away from orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. If you look at other verses that Paul has written, he includes a longer list of sins. All right, But he's saying to stay away from those things. In verse 14, he continues by telling his readers to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Christians need to prepare by waking up, getting rid of sins or worldly entanglements, and putting on Christ. It is so important to put on Christ. So often we think of Christians, we think of inviting the Lord Jesus into our hearts, and we do that. But I also think it's more important to see that we are in Christ. He's not this little guy that we carry around inside of us. It's like a sponge in the ocean. It's full of water, but it's also in the water. And so hopefully we are full of Christ, but we are also in Christ. All right? So Christians need to prepare by waking up, getting rid of their sins and worldly entanglements and putting on Christ. And there seems to be an urgency behind Paul's words. He seems to be saying, don't be lazy or slack in your discipleship. Do something. Work at it. Why is Paul so insistent that Christians put off the desires of the flesh and put on Christ? The answer is, in part, because they are preparing They are preparing for something wonderful and eternal. They are preparing to go to a permanent home with the Lord, and he doesn't want them to miss it. And this is where expectation comes into the picture. Remember, Advent is about preparing expectantly. Other words that might be associated with expectation are anticipation, hope, longing, yearning, and desire. We're looking forward to something that is far better than the sins, entanglements, and even the pleasures of this world. In verse 11, where Paul wrote, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, he was referring to something that is yet to come. Paul's readers were already believers. 
Here the word salvation refers to Christ's second coming, and it is nearer now than when they first believed. In verse 12, he says, The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Again, Paul states that Jesus' second coming is near. It is something we are to expect. But I want us to look deeper and think about Paul's use of the terms night and day. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Night and day represent two different kingdoms. Night is the dark, temporary world we are living in now. That's where we're at. The world where orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy, and other sins are commonplace and even celebrated. Sound familiar? That's where we're at. Day is the eternal kingdom of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, Paul wrote, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Let me repeat that part of those verses. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness out of that world of sensuality and all the other worldly entanglements that he listed there. He has delivered us from that and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul yearned for his readers to avoid the sins and entanglements of this world, the kingdom of darkness, because we belong to another the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul personally longed for the manifestation of this kingdom. He looked forward to the day with expectation. Hear what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul wanted to be with Christ in his kingdom of light. All right? He said that is far better. Along with his desire to be with Jesus, Paul looked expectantly for everything to be made right and for everything to be as it should be. Let's go back to Romans. And look at chapter 8, verses 22 through 23. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation groans in this kingdom of darkness. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Everything, all of creation, seems to be expecting or longing for something better, for Christ to come again and make all things right. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28, we find Paul expressing the same idea in another way. He says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule. And every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he accept, He is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. Now that's a lot, but, it, but it's a lot of pronouns there, the interplay between the Father and the Son. But basically what it is saying to us is that Jesus Christ needs to put all things or bring all things in subjection to himself and then he will be in subjection to God the Father and the result is that God may be all in all. Again, the day is coming when God will be all in all. I can't even imagine that day when everything is as it should be. Things, I mean... We don't have to watch the news for more than two minutes to realize that things are not as they should be. But there will be a day when God is all and in all, and he will make everything as it should be. So let me try to summarize this in a way that makes sense. And for you guys working the slides, now we can, we can go through the slides. It says, first... We have good news. Christ is coming again and we look forward to a time when God will make all things right. A time when everything is as it should be. Second, we have the not so good news. It hasn't happened yet. All right. We are still waiting for Christ to come and make all things right. Jesus himself said, and this comes from John 14 verses 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He says, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. All right? Third, we need to prepare for when Christ comes to take us. Wake up. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We need to clothe ourselves in Christ because if we are not in him, we are not included in his kingdom. We're either in or we're out. All right? Fourth, we prepare by living as if we are already citizens of God's kingdom. I think this is so critical. In this kingdom of darkness, we are actually just kind of staying here for a little bit. Because if we are Christians, we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of light, of the kingdom of God's beloved son. We're just kind of passing through here. But we are his representatives here as well. And we are to try to get others to immigrate into our kingdom. All right. Finally, we are to prepare with expectation. Expectation includes anticipation, hope, longing, yearning, and desire. The older I get, and I'm pretty old, <laughs> the more longing, yearning, and desire I have for, for 
just for everything to be finally as it should be, the more I really do just want to be with Jesus Christ. All right. For so long, I had the idea that I, you know, I want to live a good life and and have some of the things that the the world has to offer here. But the older I get, the more I see that it's just never going to be quite right here. All right. I'm longing for the day when Jesus returns for me or for us all and all things will be right again. There is an experience that I believe is common to all of humanity. The Welsh people have a word for it, and it was a word that my daughter taught me. It's called hiraith. The word does not translate directly to English, but a lady named Ella Patrice describes it this way. Hiraith describes a deep inborn sense of yearning for a home, a feeling, a place, or person that is beyond this plane of existence. Did you catch that? It's a yearning for something we can't have here because it's not here. People explore all sorts of ways to try to find that home, feeling, place, or person, that sense of fulfillment they so desperately want. The list of things they pursue might include careers, relationships, power, special experiences, adrenaline rushes, hobbies, and passions. Too often, the search becomes idolatry. Have you ever seen when people make their passions their idol? Or it can result in sinful entanglements, like those in the list we read earlier, orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. And then there's an even greater tragedy. Too often, I believe, people give up the search entirely. They just quit looking. As they age, they tend to settle. They realize that what they want or what they are after is not here. But they don't give up the sins. They hang on to those as temporary distractions from their pain and disappointments. The Bible, however, gives us better instructions. And in the light of Scripture, we learn what Hiraith really is. It is a signpost or a marker in the rugged terrain of our hearts, pointing us to something that is not available in this domain of darkness. Scripture indicates that this deep desire can only be satisfied in Christ. And its full satisfaction will happen only when he comes to take us home. This Advent season, let us consider the heroes of the faith who we read about in Hebrews 11.6. It says, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let us follow their example and prepare expectantly for the coming of our Lord by waking up, getting rid of sins and worldly entanglements, and making sure we are clothed in Christ. And let us prepare to celebrate his first coming at Christmas. He became the Son of Man so we could become sons of God and be truly at home in him forever. 
So as we get ready to close this morning, um, if the music team would come back up, we're going to sing a hymn, Joy to the World. A lot of people think of it as a Christmas song, and we sing it at Christmas because it's a part of Advent. Isaac Watts, when he wrote Joy to the World, he wasn't thinking about the coming of Jesus in the manger. He was thinking about Jesus coming again to make everything right. Listen to the words of the song as we sing. benediction this morning is probably my favorite passage in the Bible, Numbers 6, 24 through 36. But before I read that, I would just like to say, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't accepted him into your heart, I will be willing to stay and pray with anybody who would like to do that. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed.